The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by George Rodriguez on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador. George Rodriguez. Howdy, howdy, howdy once again, my friends. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio. We've got a great program for you today. We've got four guests, my friends, four very, very good guests. First of all, we've got, of course, my very, very good friend, Tom Holman, the former ICE director. And uh, I reached out to Tom because he's going to be chatting with us regarding the issue of law and order. Uh, at the local level, I mean, Tom has been de- dealing with the issue of uh, of immigration law enforcement uh, since he was an ICE director, but um, he was also a police officer in New York. So I wanted him to get on to to chat with us about uh, you know the challenges that are being faced now in the communities uh, for law enforcement for police officers. So uh, Tom Holman will be on uh, will be our first guest. Our second guest is a, another dear friend of mine from Washington, D.C., from my days when I when I was working there, Mr. Don Irvine, who is uh, uh, the uh, president and CEO of uh, Accuracy in Media. And uh, Don's going to be chatting with us about the horrendous effort uh, or this horrendous problem that we've got right now with uh, accuracy in media, uh, with uh, the fake news, my friends. We've had so many situations lately, from the Hunter Biden story uh, to a, a story about uh, separation of families at the border, uh, of illegal alien families at the border. Uh, you know, the, the media is just so out of control, it's not even funny. So uh, uh, Don's going to be chatting with us about that issue. Then we've got uh, uh, Mr. David Ray out of uh, Washington, D.C., from the uh, Federation for American Immigration Reform, or FAIR. Uh, and uh, we're going to be chatting with him regarding this whole issue of uh, some uh, uh, immigration uh, news uh, items that have, uh, again, gone uh, lost, stolen, or strayed. <laughs> so uh, he, he, we're going to be chatting about that. And then finally, we've got a very, very special guest all the way from Washington, D.C., the Deputy Press Secretary, the second in command of all the press uh, under uh, Kaylee McElhaney, um, Mr. Brian Morgenstern. And Brian is going to be chatting with us about the challenges that the White House faces with fake news. I mean, he uh, he is on the front lines If anybody knows about the fake news. It's Brian. So uh, we're going to be chatting with him and he's going to be giving us uh, a a rundown of it. So um, those are our our guests. Uh, Let me uh, give you an update real quick of what's going on here locally. Um, One of the things that's really, you know, that the fake news is very, very, the local fake news is very, very good at is doing the spin and providing a uh, a narrative uh, for the left. We've got uh, in San Antonio, uh, we've been fighting the second battle of the Alamo. And uh, now, uh, over the past uh, few weeks, since the Alamo's, uh, since the moving of the Cenotaph has been forbidden by the State Historical Commission, the uh, newspaper, the San Antonio Express, the fake news uh, here in San Antonio, as well as the rest of the the news uh, outlets, have been uh, just carrying on about how terrible it is that the plans for redevelopment of downtown are going to be frustrated because the cenotaph has not been moved and because they can't uh, uh, proceed. The other thing that they're really talking about is uh, how they need to minimize the Battle of the Alamo, the 1836 Battle of the Alamo, to uh, make it to make the story of the Alamo more inclusive. My friends. To me, that is like saying that we've got to we've got to tell the story of the Japanese pilots at, at, at Pearl Harbor. You know, uh, I'm sorry. The reason that the Alamo is the Alamo is because of the Battle of 1836, because of the of the blood that was shed by patriots there. That's why the Alamo is the Alamo. 
to talk about it about uh, in any other terms of architectural and historical aspects of it, uh, it, it, it lessens it lessens the blood that uh, that was shed there. That's my opinion. I, I you know I I would hope that people will fight tooth and nail to maintain the true history of the of the Alamo. We've got to, my friends. All right. So, uh, having said that, we're uh, going to go to our first guest, uh, Mr. Tom Holman. Thank you for being with us, my friends. I hope that you will continue to support El Conservador on KLUP 930 AM radio. The answer. And we've got uh, my very good buddy, Mr. Tom Holman, who uh, is the former uh, ICE director. And uh, now he's a Fox News contributor, and he's all over the place now uh, uh, talking about uh, illegal immigration and the impact on our communities. Uh, I wanted to get him on here because he recently uh, uh, penned a, a commentary regarding uh, the New York police and uh, what their fee. Uh, feeling uh, as far as this uh, this situation of uh, anti-law enforcement atmosphere that we've got. And, uh, you know, uh, Tom, you yourself were a police officer, a local police officer, before you went into the federal service, correct? Yeah, I was a cop in New York. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so tell us, what, uh, you know, what is going on? What is this uh, anti-law enforcement uh, atmosphere that we've got, this anti-police uh, sentiment. I mean, here in San Antonio, as we speak right now, uh, we've got um, folks that are trying to undermine the uh, police uh, uh, contract uh, and uh, literally, I mean, uh, undo everything that the police officers really work for and, uh, you know, and do uh, all the sacrifices that they make. What is, uh, I mean, what what is going on with that uh, as well as across the board? Well, look, I think what happened, you know, the George Floyd situation was terrible, and, and that police officer uh, and a couple other deep held accountable for that. Look, are there bad cops out there? Yes. Are there some cops out there that are racist? I'm sure there are. But is the vast majority racist? No. The vast majority of men and women in law enforcement join for the right reasons. They put their lives online every day for this country. They leave the safety and security of their home every day, leave their families, strap a gun on their head, put a Kevlar vest on to protect people in the community, people they don't know, people they'll never meet, even the people that despise them. But I think the left took advantage of the George Floyd uh, tragedy, and they pushed this anti-cop movement, and a lot of people jumped on board because of the tragedy that we all saw on TV with George Floyd. You know, a lot of people jumped on a bandwagon without giving a clear thought. Look, we need to hold bad cops accountable. Absolutely. No, you know, no doubt about it. But we got to remember that the vast majority of these men and women, the finest 1% of this country has, because they don't make a lot of money. They put their lives in line for us every single day. You know, you think the cops that died at 9-11 running those buildings with firemen, you think they were going there just to, you know, save white people? No, they're going to save people. They don't care what color, race, or creed they were. And most police officers feel that way. But the left, look, this new progressive left wing, they, you know, like Antifa, and you see what's going on in these big cities with the protests turning to riots. They want to push for defunding the police because they don't want consequence and deterrence. They want to remain living in their parents' basement, waiting for the free stimulus check, and not be held accountable for bad behavior. Every and look, even if it's tough to talk about cutting their budget, defunding them, taking money like New York City, right? They took a billion dollars out of their budget. People need to understand. When I was ICE director, I had almost a seven billion dollar budget. Sounds like a lot of money, but. When I got that budget, I had to sit down with my staff and say, okay, what can we do and what can't we do because of the amount of money we have. Every dollar you take away from law enforcement is going to result in more crime. I don't say that lightly. Every dollar you take away from law enforcement will result in more crime. Why? Because it's going to result in less patrols, less overtime, less money for wiretaps or Title III uh, undercover investigations, less equipment, and less surveillance. It's... It, there's only, there's only so much work to go around, only so much money to pay for that work. It, some work's going to have to give. So is it really worth defunding the police or taking money away to have cry, crime raising in your neighborhoods and be less safe? And what, what, what I really want to pick on New York, because I was a cop in New York, is that Mary de Blasio cut their budget by $1 billion. At the same time, he keeps 22 NYPD officers on his protective detail. He didn't cut one officer from his own protective detail. So he's being protected 24-7. 
by the police officer in New York, funded by the taxpayers. He didn't defund 1% of his protective detail, but he defunded $1 billion from your protective detail, the taxpayers in New York. He, he defunded your protective detail, the police officers working in your neighborhoods. And that's what the missed message is. But I think things are slowly turning around for this president standing by law enforcement. And I think the American people are finally understanding that police are not the bad people. The country's upside down when the good guys all of a sudden are the bad guys and the criminals all of a sudden are the victims. I think America's smarter than that. Well, you know, you've got the situation uh, in Milwaukee where they recently uh, the politicians, the city uh, council and the mayor, uh, were dumbfounded. That was their word. They were dumbfounded. They couldn't figure out why the uh, uh, why crime was getting out of control. This is after they voted to defund the police. Uh, incredible. Same thing with Seattle. They're they're experiencing a huge crime wave, and um, you know after they have uh, publicly disrespected and undermined the police, it, it's amazing to me that uh, that they can't put two and two together or that they won't. I'm not sure which it is. Well, I think that's at least their problems, right? Crime's going to rise, but how are they going to pay their bills? Look, New York City, people are leaving New York City in droves. Less tax base. There's going to be less property tax being given, less tax being paid by residents aren't there anymore. You know, do you want, would you want to buy a house in these cities where they defund the police? I mean, do you, would you own a, would you own a business right now in downtown Portland? I mean, so the problem is these leftist policies, it's going to bite them all in the butt because businesses will leave, residents will leave, and these are the taxpayers. These people out there protesting and, and acting violent, they're not paying taxes. You know, if they are, they're not paying the amount of taxes businesses and, 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 and law-abiding U.S. citizens are paying. And, and we all know who's pro. We all know who's doing this. I mean, they, I, I, none of them are Trump supporters. And, and what really upset me is Joe Biden never said a word about these anarchists until his poll numbers showed that his silence was hurting him. Then he spoke up because he's protecting his voters. Look. These cities, they, they got a rude awakening come. The mayor of New York City is going to need a bail. That's why, that's why Nancy Pelosi is pushing for a bailout for these Democratic-controlled cities. So they're already feeling the pain. But it's going to get a lot worse as more businesses and more people leave these cities because they don't feel safe anymore. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the same thing with, with the sanctuary communities. I mean, they attract, they're attracting uh, the criminals as well. And uh, they just don't seem to, to see that that there's an equation there of of not cooperating with ICE to get rid of uh, illegal alien criminals and uh, and and their their uh, sanctuary policy. Oh, this is never about doing the right thing for the communities. This is about politics. This is about you know them getting political power, them pushing their political ideologies, and on America, you know, trying to you know transform this country who we are. And, it's, and, it's, and look. They've made some headway, right? We see a lot of stuff going on in this country, but it's, I really, truly believe that the vast majority of Americans may be silent, but hopefully on November 3rd they won't be, because we have a choice to have a president that's law and order president or having a president that obviously don't believe in law and order. Not one law enforcement organization that I know of has endorsed them. We got, we, it's a, it's a, the most important election of my lifetime is coming up in two weeks. You got it. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing... We're seeing a huge number of, of voter turnout here for the early voting and uh, and lots of activity. I mean, I am very, very uh, optimistic because we're seeing a huge amount of activity uh, on the border communities in support of, of, uh, of Trump, huge Trump trains. Buddy, uh, I, I thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. Uh, anything that you want to add before we, uh, we let you go? No, again, you know, I, I'm... I'm... I'll be uh, 59 years old here real soon, and, and this is the most important election of our lifetime. And uh, either we keep the America that that you and I grew up in and, and try to make it even better, or we, we we radically transform what this country stands for. That's our choice. Help people make the right decision. You got it. We've been talking with Mr. Tom Holman, the former ICE director. And uh, Tom, thank you very, very much for taking time to, to be with us again as usual. You got it, sir. You have a good day now. Bye-bye. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer. And we've got uh, one of my good buddies, uh, Mr. Don Irvine, is with the uh, Accuracy in Media organization in Washington, D.C. Well, actually in Gaithersburg, Maryland, but in the Washington, D.C. area. 
And I wanted to uh, reach out to him and get him get his uh, uh, input and comments regarding uh, the uh, fake news that uh, has just gotten really, really crazy. Don, thank you for taking time to be with us. Um, let me let me begin by by asking you about we've got we are seeing right now how the media seems to be at least the mainstream media seems to be ignoring the Hunter Biden story as well as they seem to be uh, uh, just uh, attacking uh, and writing all sorts of things um, regarding uh, Justice Amy Barrett as she goes through the confirmation. In fact, um, uh, I believe that uh, one of the senators, Senator Cox, I believe it was, um, uh, went on TV and just uh, made the comment that, uh, you know, it's going to be a disaster if she's confirmed. And if she is, it's going to be a violation of the uh, Constitution and the uh, media doesn't ask him well, what where where in the Constitution or what violation there is there. So Don, tell us what uh, what are you guys seeing regarding uh, the fake news? I mean, uh, give us give us your thoughts. All right. Well, your your first question was about Hunter Biden and that whole explosive email situation with the laptop that was left at a repair shop in Delaware and everything. My feeling about this is that while, they're, while we're still kind of waiting for the, quote, verification as to the authenticity of, of these emails, the, the problem I have with this is just how the media has reacted to this. As you said, they've completely ignored it. Uh, they don't want to talk about it. They won't ask uh, Joe Biden about it, you know, in any debate, town hall type of situation. So that, you know, they want to sweep this under the rug. And yet you and I both know that, you know, if this situation had been reversed, if this was on Donald Trump or any Republican, they would have been all over it. I mean, we, we saw, you know, Twitter, you know, saying uh, under their hacked materials clause or whatever rules, you know, they basically blocked accounts from uh, retweeting the story. Kaylee McEnany, the White House press secretary, they locked the New York Post account, you know, the people who had actually done the story. They've now since released that, you know, and decided that they better, you know, kind of play ball a little bit more. And Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, said, you know, they made a mistake. But this is something that, you know, if the Washington Post or the New York Times reported this on a conservative or Republican, it would, it would have been reported. We never would have seen this, you know, this kind of, you know, uh, just pushing it down, ignoring it and everything like that. And, you know, you know, and as for Justice Barrett, she went through a magnificent, you know, hearing process probably the best that I have seen in my lifetime and watching these, you know, confirmation hearings. Amazing what she did. But the, uh, but the Democrats, you know, they, they knew they were behind the eight ball. They, they didn't have the numbers. They did it to themselves with Harry Reid, you know, getting rid of the, you know, getting rid of the 60 vote majority, you know, the necessary votes necessary to confirm the justice. So, you know, they're, they're going to see Justice Barrett, you know, Judge Barrett get confirmed. Uh, and the, throwing up these ideas about the Constitution, that's really ludicrous. Because as you pointed out, the media doesn't ask him, you know, what's wrong with this, except except I will say, I guess, you know, give some credit to Jake Tapper on this when he did quiz uh, Katie Benningfield from the Biden campaign. And, you know, she kind of went on her talking points a couple weeks ago. And, you know, he said, well, they haven't done, Republicans haven't done anything wrong here. You know, what's wrong with what they've done? You know, and she just kind of kept spouting the same talking points. They, they, they don't have an answer because it's not unconstitutional. They are doing their due uh, diligence and their duty as to, as to what the Constitution calls for and making these proceedings go forward and the vote is perfectly fine and perfectly legal, uh, but, the, but the Democrats are just trying to throw up roadblocks but they have nothing. I mean, you, if you heard Cory Booker, you know, uh, last week he was saying, like, well, you know, the results are pretty much baked into the cake, so they're resigned to it. It doesn't mean that they won't, they haven't gone on the attack. We saw, you know, Maisie Hirano from Hawaii and her attack very bizarre. A lot of bizarre line of questioning going on during those hearings and everything like that. But it's it's probably going to be smooth sailing ahead. And the media, you know, there's not there's nothing they can do to stop it. I mean, it's and it's it's not really going to have much of an effect on the election. I don't think in the long run. So I think that's why they're they you know, their focus is on trying to beat President Trump up on COVID. What about this situation with the um, over at the White House recently, where? Um, the uh, the uh, press secretary uh, at the White House tweeted out a co- a comment, and then uh, the um, uh, the social media Twitter to begin with uh, censored it. 
I mean, isn't uh, I mean, how can we address uh, or how can we stay informed uh, if uh, if the mechanisms for information uh, are uh, are against us? That's a good question. But I mean, I think, you know, those of us who have used social media for a number of years, I mean, we we do come into this with an understanding as conservatives that social media is great, can be used, and can be very beneficial. But, you know, from a political standpoint, it's by and large, it's not on our side. I mean, you know, the things that have happened over the past several years in terms of censoring, you know, just totally blocking things out, uh, you know, from from the conservative standpoint, it's not surprising anymore. Uh, And it doesn't take very long. I mean, yeah, for, for the press secretary to tweet something out, Will social media jump all over it? Sure they will, because it's still with a bunch of left-wing nutballs and trolls and everything like that, and they think they can just, you know, abuse uh, people like that. But, uh, but I, think we're the, I think we're the bigger and better people. You know, we don't, don't, none of us should take it personally. We should just continue to do what we want to do. We still have to use those outlets, but, uh, but that doesn't mean we have to take their beating and say, you know, and just cower from it. Just keep pushing ahead. You know, Kaylee McEnany... It's a very tough lady. You know, she's a tough individual. And she doesn't, I don't think she takes any of this personally. She just keeps pushing away and pushing back on it. And I think that's what you have to do. Yeah, I, you know, it, it really is. I mean, I, I, I do see a lot of people getting very, very upset and taking it personal when they, um, you know, when they can't express an opinion uh, and they get, uh, because they get shut down. So, uh, you know, I mean, we've got to remember that it is a private business and, uh you know uh, that the public uh, uses a lot, so uh, so we do have to remember that. I guess what we need to do is is find alternative sources for for uh, uh, keeping ourselves uh, informed, uh, or at right. least you know try to reinterpret what is being told. Now I, I remember your dad. I mean, uh, bless his heart. I remember your dad uh, when he organized accuracy in media and uh, how uh, you know it, it just seemed to be. It seems to be more vicious now. Do you think that the media has become a lot more, I mean, at least from the left and liberal point of view, become a lot more uh, brazen in their bias? Oh, absolutely. And I think we we have seen that to really take root over the last four years, and particularly over the last several months during this campaign. Because, you know, as I look through, you know, different news articles and things like that, we're seeing more of these people, you know, uh, the ones that should be you know, theoretically reporting the news, they are now interpreting the news and giving, throwing their opinions in there. So they have become, you know, big critics now of the president and any of the administration policies, and without a lot of factual basis behind it now. It's, it's now, their personal opinion has now become, you know, paramount for them, and they're, they're out there proudly doing it because they realize that, they, they're not going to get a lot of pushback, you know, from the from the liberal their liberal colleagues are, are just going to let them fly, and we see that. I mean, did just you know, and, and the things that they've done during this campaign. I mean, if you you know recall, we just had those you know the town halls with with Joe Biden, and they had these undecided voters uh, asking questions in Miami. When it turned out later on uh, that those undecided voters had actually appeared on MSNBC with. Two weeks within the last two weeks of that town hall, and had uh, had already made uh, their fact known that they were probably leaning towards or going to vote for Biden. They were not undecided. You know, the last town hall had a former Obama speechwriter asking a question. <laughs> but you know, overall, you know, overall, I mean, they're they're bold, they're brazen. They think they can get away with anything right now. It really is. I mean, it, it's really quite shocking to to uh, a, a lot of the, the, the folks out here in the hinterlands when they watch how brazen these people have become. It really has. And we have a problem with the local media as well, because the local media uh, just seems to pick up where the, uh, where, where the national media leaves off. Uh, we see a lot of that here in, in, in South Texas uh, on immigration issues and on police issues where they, uh, they just, you know, carry the water and they don't, you know, they don't uh, push back and don't ask questions. Yeah, no, and I think that is a trend that is all around the country. You know, part of that is just that, you know, the, the media industry, news media, I mean, they have been decimated, right? I mean, the local news media, you know, they're, they're trying to hang on there and trying to figure out a way to survive after advertising, you know, dropped through the floor thanks to, you know, outfits like, you know, 
you know, Facebook and things like that, which have started to suck up all the advertising revenue, which was their lifeblood. So they're, you know, they're trying, they're trying to survive. So they, I think they just kind of, they're putting their finger to the wind saying like, well, we, we think that, um, you know, the forces here say that we, uh, you know, this is what uh, should be reported. So we're going to report it. <laughs> oh, isn't that true? Out the window. <laughs> isn't that true? Don, uh, we got to close here, but tell folks tell folks where they can follow you and how they can uh, support your organization. Yeah, so they can support AIM at just you know, simply at AIM.org. You can look at our website and ch- you know donate and do whatever. We've got a Twitter account for Accuracy and Media as well as Instagram and everything like that. Plus my own personal you know account, uh, you know Don Irvine on Twitter as well. You can see my occasional rants and musings. <laughs> Don, thank you very much. We've been talking to Don Irvine with Accuracy in Media, uh, all the way from uh, suburban Maryland, suburban Washington, D.C. and Maryland. Thanks a lot, Don, for taking time to be with us. Thanks a lot, George, for having me on. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Howdy, 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 my friends. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer, here in beautiful San Antonio. And uh, we've got our good friend, Mr. David Bray, from the uh, Federation for Immigration Reform um, and uh, in D.C. And I wanted to reach out to him because they, they recently, uh, FAIR recently put out a... Um, uh, a, a press release, which was very, very intriguing, particularly since we've been talking on our show uh, regarding the uh, border apprehensions and uh, the uh, issue of, uh, you know, and I, 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 I shudder to say the phrase, but journalistic balance. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> Dave, thank you for, for joining us. As usual, I really appreciate you taking time. Uh, tell us, tell us about, uh, first of all, let's talk about the uh, apprehensions on the uh, on the uh, southern border that they've been the highest in the in past 15 years right well great to be with you again george it's always good to, to chat with you and your listeners actually september of this year we had uh, the highest apprehensions that we've had in the last decade or 15 years we caught 57,000 illegal aliens crossing the southern border now that was after experiencing very, very low numbers brought on by a combination of the tough uh, policies that the president has taken at the border, the building of the border wall, some of the bilateral agreements we've had with our neighbors to the south, uh, uh, including the Northern Triangle countries and Mexico. But, you know, it, it goes to show that immigration and managing the border and the border issue is something that is going to be with us and our children and our grandchildren. In other words, this is an issue that's never going away. Oh, heavens, yes. When President Trump came in, we had the problems with catch and release, and it was primarily Central American uh, adults coming in with children, some of whom they claimed to be their own and weren't, but they were seeking to ask for political asylum and then be released into the United States. Now this demographic in in September has completely shifted. It's no longer Central American men and women uh, with with children, but actually single Mexican men coming in and looking for work. Uh, You know, the COVID-19 crisis in Latin America has had the same effect that it has here in the United States on the job market. Frankly, uh, there's a lot of people looking for work on both sides of the border. And so now, uh, unfortunately, right as we're going into the second spike here in the U.S. with COVID-19, we're going to see pressure on our southern border from our neighbors to the south, Mexico, uh, people looking to come in and try and pick up one of those jobs that has recently been lost by an American worker. That you know, this is this is really really interesting because um, on one side of the border, on our side of the border, we hear uh, Democrats, liberals, you know, just carrying on about uh, the pandemic and how we need to stay home and we need to do this and we need to do that. 
but they don't seem to be worried about um, the pandemic being brought into the United States from across the border. Nor are they worried about the pandemic being spread by protests out on the street. So those those two categories are completely exempt. But let's, you know, this is not happening in a bubble, uh, George. You know, let's think about what has been heard by those across the border over the last couple months during the presidential campaign. You have President <clears throat> presidential hopeful Joe Biden calling for a mass amnesty for upwards of 14 million illegal aliens who are currently in the country who, if they would qualify and get an amnesty and eventually citizenship, fair estimates roughly 52 million of their family members because of family chain migration would then be eligible to eventually come into the United States. You also have uh, strong pushes by sanctuary cities and sanctuary states like California, Oregon, and Washington, the entire West Coast, that uh, if you get in there and you're an illegal immigrant, even if you commit a crime, they're not going to cooperate with federal immigration enforcement officials to apprehend and remove you from the country. There's also, you know, uh, states like California and other states that are pushing to give stimulus, uh, COVID-19 stimulus relief to illegal aliens. You have states giving health care to illegal aliens. So there's a lot of incentives that are out there. Uh, in addition to the fact that, you know, Mexico's job market looks anything like ours, there's probably a lot of people who've been unemployed and laid off and are thinking maybe things might be a little bit better in the United States. Yep. Uh, you know, it, it, it is. Now, let me <laughs> let me switch gears because uh, the other day I, um, I made a comment uh, about a uh, piece that was done by the New York Times uh, regarding uh, regarding the uh, uh, the plight, as they put it, the plight of the people waiting for asylum on the Mexican side, how unfair it is because they used to be able to cross and declare asylum over here and then stay over here, et cetera, et cetera. Now they've got to stay in Mexico. Between that and the, uh, the, the media's coverage of the separation of families, which continues uh, to uh, go on and on by the liberal media, um, you know, it, it, it seems like they constantly, constantly uh, talk about the racist and cruel and xenophobic policies uh, in enforcing immigration uh, uh, laws. I mean, you know, it, it, it's where is the journalistic balance? <laughs> uh, there is none, George. You know, journalists in the old, you know, in the old days, you would judge a good journalist by whether or not you could read a, any given story about anything and not be able to tell one way or the other what the writer's actual opinion was. In other words, you know, if you remember back in the old days of the, the show Dragnet and Sergeant Friday would say, just the facts, ma'am, you know, that's what, journal, that's what good journalism was. They lay out the facts on both sides, get commentary on both sides, and let the reader make up their mind. Nowadays, this is politically driven journalism by, you know, firms like the New York Times who have been outed as, as telling their staff, you know, we are going after the Trump administration and their policies, that the hatred of this president is so deep on the left that many of these uh, journalists are just blinded by their hatred. I mean, if you look at some of the, the actual headlines and comments that have uh, appeared in some of the nation's top newspapers. In the New York Times, uh, there was a, a quote about Trump administration immigration policies, quote, are filled with racism, cruelty, and xenophobia. The LA Times, quote, beyond the rhetorical broadsides, the administration has taken several steps that have been acutely felt by immigrant communities. <laughs> well, I mean, there is another side to that. There have been a lot of Americans and legal immigrants who have, for the first time in many years, been able to step into the workforce because of Trump administration immigration enforcement policies. In terms of the people on the other side of the border, let's take them at their word. These are people coming from Central America who are claiming that they are fleeing persecution by their governments, that their lives are in danger, that they are being uh, called out 
singled out for persecution based on race, ethnicity, or national origin. Well, if that is true, then they are safe in Mexico because they are miles away from the government that was persecuting him. And we are in the middle of a, glo- of a worldwide global pandemic where our borders are closed, just like Mexico's and just like Canada's. So nobody's really moving anywhere. But if their life was in danger in Guatemala or Honduras, they are safe in northern Mexico. And just like all the rest of us, they're going to have to wait because there is now a huge backlog in hearing asylum cases. But prior to this, George, these folks were coming into the country illegally, not crossing through legal ports of entry, getting apprehended by the Border Patrol, asking for political asylum, being released, and then simply disappearing, many of whom never even bothered to file their paperwork for political asylum. That's what a flam, that's what a flim-flam story it was. So, so yes, people are being inconvenienced because they're being asked to wait until things normalize, and it could honestly be another year before we have a vaccine that's, wide, that's widespread enough that we can start letting people back into the United States. But with that said, they're not being persecuted by the government they uh, claim to be fleeing. So, you know, that, that's the other side of the story, not being told by the media. You know, and, and, and I think the worst of the worst is the Spanish language media. Univision and Telemundo just constantly are running these uh, very, very sympathetic sob stories that, um, you know, that, that they, they completely ignore the, the facts that, you know, people cannot enter the United States illegally nor at will, period. <laughs> right. Well, it'll be interesting because I've seen a lot of media reports that President Trump could potentially do better among Hispanics and African Americans than any presidential Republican presidential candidate has ever done. Oh yeah. So it'll be interesting to see if that turns out to be true because if so that means that a lot of these media sources have really failed to deliver despite their biased one-sided journalism. Miserably. Uh Dave uh tell the folks how they can follow uh Fair and how they can uh support and contribute to Fair. Well, FAIR is the nation's uh, premier immigration watchdog group. We're based in Washington, D.C., right on Capitol Hill, right in the heart of the belly of the beast. We've been around for more than 40 years. We are a charity 501c3 nonprofit, meaning that all of your donations to FAIR are tax-deductible. You can check us out on the web at fairus.org. You can check us out on Facebook at Federation for American Immigration Reform or Twitter at Fair Immigration. We are uh, joined Fair and its three million uh, members and supporters, and make a difference in this nation's immigration policies to build a better, healthier, stronger America. Dave Ray, we've been talking with Dave Ray from the Federation for American Immigration Reform, Fair in Washington D.C. Dave, thank you very much as usual for being you with bet, us. My friend. <laughs> you take care, my man. All right, you take care. Great great chatting with you, George. Thank you. Once again, friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Hello, El Conservador listeners. If you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his Internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez El Conservador and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you're interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. Howdy, howdy, howdy once again, my friends. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio. And we are very, very excited and privileged to have uh, Mr. Brian Morgenstern, who is the Deputy Press Secretary at the White House, uh, with us uh, today to uh, chat a little bit about uh, a subject that we uh, beat up a, a, a around here a lot, uh, the fake news. And um, I mean, if anybody knows the struggles of trying to tell 
the president's story accurately, uh, the accomplishments and everything else, it's going to be Brian because uh, he's right there in the front front lines. I mean, he's right there in the front lines. We see it, uh, but, uh, you know, we have no real uh, concept sometimes of, of how bad things are in Washington, D.C. in that swamp. Brian, thank you very, very much for being with us today. Um, let, let me let me preface uh, this by just saying that uh, I, I remember very, very clearly uh, I was a kid hearing my dad get very, very upset because uh, Walter Cronkite one evening went on the, on TV and said that we were losing the Vietnam War and he just flipped out. I had no idea why, you know, he flipped out. But years later, now I realize, you know, that Walter Cronkite was literally influencing American policy and politics. And it seems like it's gotten worse since then. Uh, what, uh, how, how, how do you guys handle it? Oh, man, George. Well, first of all, it's great to be with you again. So thank you uh, for having me. And uh, pleased to join your listeners as well. Uh, so it, we do have a tough job because President Trump, uh, in spite of his record of success, of job creation, of cutting taxes, of deregulation, of improving trade deals, of replacing endless wars with peace deals, of lowering health care costs, all of these accomplishments, the American people do see it, uh, but they don't hear about it from the news media because, uh, frankly, they are lined up against him. Uh, it is a profession where, generally speaking, uh, people are of the liberal persuasion, and then they spend all day together in a groupthink environment, uh, and so they don't like to be challenged. Uh, but the fact is, the president is a fighter. He gets out there and makes sure the American people hear his voice. And uh, now that big tech is getting in on the game as well, uh, we are in a difficult situation. We are in a precarious situation as a country because we're really seeing free speech uh, threatened. And it's one of the bedrocks of our democracy. And we have to make sure that the American people have access to the full story, to all of the information. And that's why the administration has proposed legislation regarding Section 230. That is the law that allows a platform to uh, have special immunity because, in theory, a platform is just neutral and they allow people to post information, but they don't own the information. But we have big tech now act acting in a way that they're censoring things. They're putting a thumb on the scale and behaving more like a publisher than a platform. And so they should have that immunity taken away. They should have liability. They shouldn't be able to get away with that. Um, but the other thing, George, I'll mention, it's so important to, to put in patriotic education. And that's something President Trump is also pushing for. He's established this commission. The commission is working on curricula, a textbook, and resources for schools in this country to restore patriotism, to, under, to make sure that our next generation understands how special this country is and why the First Amendment, especially freedom of speech and religion, freedom to uh, seek redress of your grievances against the government, all of these things that are really foundational to our country are preserved and passed on to the next generation. It is critically, critically important, and I think that will help people put what's going on today really in perspective tomorrow. Yeah, you know, it seems like like the kids are are taught today how to be ashamed of uh, being American and uh, how to be angry about being American, and particularly uh, American history. Uh, we've even got a situation here in San Antonio where, you know, they're trying to rewrite the history of the Alamo. They're, they're trying to minimize the Battle of the Alamo in 1836. I mean, you know, uh, what's that's like trying to minimize December 7th and, and uh, Pearl Harbor. It, it's incredible. Uh, how do how does the how do you plan uh, to uh, I mean how does the president uh, plan to address that that issue of uh, of this skewed education that we're going through this propaganda? Yeah, so he, so he's establishing the seventy seven uh, the seventeen seventy six commission, uh, which is basically the antidote to this sixteen nineteen project, of which you know basically spreads hatred of America and is an inaccurate portrayal of our country. Um, and uh, pushes back on the efforts that you're talking about where uh, we have sort of revisionist history trying to rewrite the story of America. But this commission and the curriculum that will be developed and uh, disseminated will remind uh, our next generation of just how special America is and how it is a beacon of hope and liberty uh, all around the world and that it needs to be preserved. 
I mean, when we have uh, the entire news media from the AP to all of the networks and then big tech all lining up with one point of view, I mean, that starts to look like state-run media from a tin pot dictatorship, not the United States, where we're supposed to celebrate differences of opinion and fight them out at the ballot box. That's what our country's all about, and we want to preserve that. Excellent. I, I, you know, I, it's it's very very interesting to see to see this development of uh, uh, of the media becoming uh, a state media on its own, <laughs> rather than than the state coming in and forcing it. I, I I just don't understand that. I just don't understand that. The uh, the uh, situation with uh, uh, news reporters coming in. I mean, I remember that uh, you know there was a big brouhaha over the uh, uh, who, who was it from CNN. Um, the there was a CNN reporter that was asked to leave, and uh, the uh, uh, everybody w- was having a, a fit over it because uh, it was censorship. When in actuality, I mean, you know, the guy was just misbehaving. Uh, how does that continue to be handled there by you guys? Well, so uh, a number of you know reporters when they get out of line, uh, we call them out on it, and we absolutely expose. Um, uh, bad reporting, we expose bad behavior, uh, we make sure the American people are aware of it, uh, and there have been times where we've you know, asked uh, outlets to bring in a different reporter because maybe the person they sent was not complying with uh, rules of etiquette or decorum or, or insisting on you know, a certain seat when they're not entitled to it, various things like that. Um, we'll, we will not hesitate to speak up, to enforce rules, to uh, to defend ourselves, because make no mistake about it, uh, we work with these reporters who are in the White House press corps. We have a, a by and large, a professional relationship with them, but we know that they're not our friends, that they are out to get the president, and they want to tear us down as well, uh, and so we, we you know, act accordingly, and we just do the best we can to get the president's message out there, that he wants more wealth for every American, more opportunities, higher wages, uh, and he wants the government to be investing in America first. Yep. You'll continue to get that message out there as best we can. You know, it, 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 it's very, very critical that, uh, you know, you guys uh, work around this mainstream media because, I mean, obviously they're, you know, they're not going, they're, they're going to uh, interpret everything that you say. But so, so getting, working around them, I think is very, very, and I think that that's one of the reasons why they hate the president for going on Twitter all the time, because he does work around them. He does, uh, you know, he's able to, to get his message out without uh, be, it being filtered by them. Oh, absolutely. And, George, his rallies, I mean, I, I just, I can't understand how some, not all, some of the polls that they're trying to get people to believe out there. Uh, it, because when I travel with the president to various parts of the country, we have people lining up all along the streets, thousands and thousands of people with signs, flags, hats. Uh, welcoming him at the rallies, thousands, if not tens of thousands of people uh, there in the rally. We get to uh, to experience it, and uh, really, it's just a matter of getting outside the groupthink, getting outside the bubble. Uh, you can you can find patriotic Americans who love our country. They're out there, and they vote. This, you know, the uh, in closing here. Let me let me ask you, uh, what uh, what can we do as citizens? you know, to uh, stop this filtration. I mean, we've got, here the local media, you know, uh, depends obviously on the networks and uh, on the big newspapers to uh, report their stories. So in, mo- in, in all cases, all they're doing is regurgitating what the, uh, what the national media says. So, uh, you know, how can we uh, as citizens try to, you know, uh, ferret through all of that uh, uh, disinformation to get, uh, you know, to the, to the truth? So a, a few things. I appreciate the question. A, a few things. One is, you know, certainly consume information from a variety of sources to educate yourself. Another thing is, on uh, is when you're looking at engagement on various stories. Uh, I'll give you an example. If you're looking at Twitter and you're looking at uh, sort of engagement numbers for similar, uh, say, tweets or stories covering the same subject, and look at how many retweets or how many likes or how many engagements. Uh, that it, you know, one version of the information is getting versus another, and then expose that, point it out to people, because sunshine, transparency, sometimes is the best disinfectant, and exposing bias when you see it, uh, then 
lets other Americans, your friends and neighbors, understand what's going on, and it will help everybody, uh, you know, as uh, hold the sort of the hall monitors accountable who are trying to influence what you see and hear. Transparency is critically important, and sharing information among your community is uh, really an important thing to do. Yeah, yep. Because I mean, a, a great example last night during the uh, during the uh, debate. Uh, Biden kept talking about the economy hurting. You know, here locally, we know that the economy is hurting because the Democrat-run uh, city and county government uh, have shut it down, have shut us down. That's why it's been, that's why our economy is hurting. I mean, it's not because anything the president did in, out of Washington. It's because here, they've shut us down. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's a critically important thing. I think we learned in the debate last night, uh, the command and control uh, sort of, philosophy on the left is really corrosive, and uh, President Trump is going to continue to be a voice for freedom of economic activity and growth, of helping our country get to the other side of the virus uh, while reopening in a safe way. We learn, we know a lot more today than we did just a few months ago. For instance, now that we know about PPE, we know about sanitizing office spaces, we know about distancing, things like that. Uh, the virus isn't really spreading in workplaces and schools. We can let people provide for their family. We can get kids back in school so the parents don't have to keep doing double duty. We can do this. Freedom works. And uh, the left is still trying to control and lock down. That is a stark contrast to what the president wants and to what most of America wants, which is freedom. Uh, it, it couldn't. That is so true. Brian, thank you very, very much for being with us uh, today. Uh, you know, we wish you the best, and we hope that you that you guys uh, continue uh, hang in there with the with this battle with <laughs> of disinformation that we've got going, and so you can provide us the truth of what's going on. Absolutely, great to be with you, George. Thank you. We have been talking with uh, Brian Morgenstern, the Deputy Press Secretary for President Trump in the White House, all the way from D.C. What a privilege! Thank you very, very much. Uh, uh, Brian for uh, being with us. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer.